This morning, uh, my plan is to begin a new sermon series. Uh, Many of you are well aware that our normal practice at Lebanon Baptist Church is to uh, work through entire books of the Bible. And we have done that uh, many times as a church. Since I've been here, we've made our way through the book of Acts. We've made our way through the Gospel of John. We've looked at 1 Corinthians as of uh, late. Uh, We've also looked at much of Genesis and uh, some Old Testament books. But today we will begin a series in which uh, we will be enabled to visit three different Gospels as a result of going through this series. Our series is entitled, The Greatest Stories Ever Told. And it is a series on the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you, thoughts come to the the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, the parable of the sowers, and we are going to look at many of these in the days ahead. These particular parables are presented to us in what we would call the synoptic gospels. You say, what are those? Well, there are four gospels, and three of them are entitled the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they are called the synoptic gospels because they see together. Uh, What you find is they're similar in structure, they're similar in content, and they're also similar in their rapid fire tone. They are different from the last gospel, which is the gospel of John, which was written numbers of years after they were written and focuses on many of Jesus' major teachings and discourses and signs, and doesn't cover the parables. In this particular series, we are going to learn much more in reference to the teaching of Jesus so that all of us would be equipped better to live out the Great Commission of teaching people how to observe all of Jesus' commands. That's what God's called us to do. The subtitle of this series is this, Short Stories Pointing to the Greatest Story. Many of you know that our Bible is really one big story, and it's the story of God's rescue plan of humanity. And it's all pointing us to Jesus Christ. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it's all one big story about Jesus pointing you to him. And these parables, what they're going to do is they're going to point us to certain aspects of that great story and how you can understand it and how you can live out that story. I trust that you have come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here today and you haven't, I trust you will listen, tune your ears, and I trust you will hear God's voice through the text of Scripture today and that you would come to know Him. And I trust all of you who are here today that over the next number of weeks as we investigate this particular series that you would hear from the greatest teacher of all, Jesus Christ, as he unfolds the message of the gospel through these stories. Today we are going to direct your attention to Matthew 13, the text that uh, Mark read at the very outset of our service And my goal this morning really is to introduce this series, to introduce the parables to you by examining this text and answering three simple questions. And here they are. First of all, we're going to look at what is a parable? 
Number two, we're going to see what did Jesus, I mean, why did Jesus teach in parables? And the last question is this, what does this mean for me for the days ahead? And even for today and for the rest of my life, what does this mean for me? An extra benefit we'll find today is that our text is sandwiched in between a parable that we are going to look at next week. And it's the parable of the soils or of the sower. In fact, the text, which is verse 10 through 17, is really right in the midst of this. Between Jesus' giving of the parable and explanation of the parable. So the messages this week and next week, in many ways, are going to coincide But today, we will focus on verses 10 through 17. But in order to examine those verses, we need to know the background. What's going on as we approach this text? And we find the background in the first three verses of Matthew 13. It says this. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. There's the word, parables. What is a parable? That's our first question. Well, that particular term is used 50 times in your New Testament, 48 verses have it inside of them. It appears twice in the book of Hebrews, but 48 of those times it's used, it's used in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The word comes from two Greek words, para, which means beside, or uh, uh, to go beside, and then balo, parabol, Balo is the word to throw, and literally it means to throw beside, or to cast alongside, or to place alongside. What we find is that Jesus is casting these parables or stories alongside of people in order to teach key spiritual lessons. There's been uh, various definitions of what a parable is. Some of you, these will be familiar to you. One person said, these are simple word pictures illuminating a profound spiritual lesson. Probably the most famous definition that I remember growing up of a parable is this. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. What we will see is that a parable is simply this. Stories from life that teach a clear spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. And that's what Jesus is going to do. And that's what we're going to look at over the course of this series. Now, there has been much discussion amongst, you could say, biblical scholars of what constitutes a parable. The word parable in the New Testament is often used to identify stories and even really simple comparisons. In fact, let me give you an example. In Luke chapter 4, Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Now, interesting, the the translators here translate parable, a proverb here, because all Jesus says is this. Physicians, 
physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown. So here, the word parable is translated by these men who did it years later as a proverb. And so what you'll find is some scholars are saying, what do you classify as being kind of a tr- all the parables of, uh, of the New Testament? And you were to have them listed out and you looked at five different documents, some of them would include certain ones. Some of them would say, oh, that's not really a parable. That's more of a proverb. And so some of those uh, categories, you'd have differ. What we're going to do over the course of this series is I have chosen really... Uh, we're going to take 16 weeks and look at some of the ones that are just clearly identified by all the scholars as parables. Now, everything that Jesus said is important, but I want to focus in on some of these key parables that teach us incredibly important lessons in reference to the gospel. Now, most of the parables, as I said, show up in the synoptic gospels. In fact, that's where they're at, but they normally come up in two of the three, and that is Matthew and Luke. Mark does give parables, but he only gives six of them, and only one parable that he presents is exclusive to Mark. The bulk of the other parables are found in Matthew and Luke. Now, this is helpful for us because those of you who've been going to Lebanon for a long time, you know I preached over the course of a couple of years through the book of John, but we didn't look at any of these parables. And so this is an opportunity to expand our knowledge of God's word. Now, in reference to Matthew and Luke, when they present these heavenly or earthly stories with heavenly meaning, Matthew normally is more black and white. He's just trying to get to a point to prove that Jesus to the Jews, that he is the the Messiah, the King, the Son of God. And so when he gives the parables, normally he just gives them in in black and white detail. Here it is. Luke, however, when he paints these stories, he often adds all that Jesus said. He gives, you could say it, in full color. And so you're going to find us looking at different presentations and figuring out, okay, Why did Luke present it in this way? And why did Matthew present it in this particular way? One further note about parables. We're going to learn how to interpret a parable, but one of the cautions I want to give us right at the beginning is this. Parables normally teach one key lesson. And one of the dangers is is that you can take a parable and try to allegorize it and make every single thing mean something. And then you miss really what the message of it is. And so one of the helpful things to to do is when you study a parable is to come up with what is the key lesson that God is trying to get across in this particular story. So that's a parable and we're going to look at them. Okay, We're going to look at, as I said, numbers of them over the next 16 weeks. But that brings us to a second question. And it's the question that is dealt very particularly in our text today, and it's this. Why did Jesus choose to speak in parables? That's answered in in Matthew chapter 13. What happens in our text is this. After Jesus begins to tell a parable, and it's the parable of the, the soils, the different type of soils, 
Jesus' disciples asked this very question. Look what it says in verse 10. It says this, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now, stop here for just a moment. Jesus had spoken in parables before this time. But this question is motivated by somewhat of a new teaching shift in Jesus' ministry. Notice a number of verses later. Go to verse 34 of our text. Chapter 13, verse 34. Look what it says. It says, all these things Jesus said to the crowd later. Go to verse 34 of our text. Chapter 13, verse 34. Look what it says. It says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. Did you catch that? Starting here in Matthew 13, when Jesus taught, everything he did was with parables. It's almost like me as a pastor, oftentimes I give explanations, I apply, I do different things within the message, but imagine that all I did was tell stories. I just gave illustrations. Some would say, hey, that'd be pretty good, Pastor Brian. All of a sudden, there was a shift that everything Jesus did was he told stories, and there was a reason for that. It wasn't that this was the particular way to always preach with stories. He had to do this for a reason, and he shifted in his ministry at this point. In fact, in a parallel passage, listen to what it says in Matthew 4, or excuse me, Mark 4. It says, with many such parables, he, Jesus, spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. Uh, He explained everything. So they're wondering why. Okay, why are you doing this? Why did you make this switch in order to just always be teaching in parables with the crowds? Well, interesting, Matthew gives just a general reason why Jesus spoke in parables. And I'll give you this to you right here in verse 35. Right after he mentioned he only spoke in parables, it says, This was to fulfill... What was spoken by the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. You say, what was that? That was a a quote from the book of Psalms. And what Jesus does is this. He says, one of the reasons I speak in parables was to fulfill the prophecies that I would do this. I would open my mouth in parables. So one of the reasons he did this was to fulfill scripture. But that is not the sole reason, nor is it the most significant, I believe. There was something more that comes out in our text this morning. And I want you to now zero in on verse 11. It says this, And he answered them. So when they asked him, why do you speak in parables? Here's his answer. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. You say, now what is he doing here? Well, he's giving you two more reasons he's speaking in parables. And why he's doing it exclusively. And the second reason is this. He does this to unveil truth 
to those who were seeking it. To unveil the truth to people who wanted to know. But also, he says in that very statement, he's also doing it to veil the truth from the rejecting. For those who rejected, he spoke in parables so they wouldn't understand. Now, let's let's handle the first of those for just a moment. Here, Jesus addresses his disciples. Notice he says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. You say, what was this to you? He's talking to his disciples. He says, hey, all of you disciples, something was given to you as a gift. This speaks of God's grace in opening the eyes of these disciples so that they could understand some of the secrets of the kingdom of God. It's interesting, Matthew uses the word secret or mystery only one time in his entire gospel. And here it is. He says, I am opening uh, to you, I have given the grace to you to be able to know the secrets of the kingdom. Now ultimately, what was the secret of the kingdom? It was him. The very one that they were looking at was the key to unlock all the doors to understanding the kingdom. And what Jesus says to them is this, I gave that to you. I have given to you the key to open the mysteries of the kingdom, and that's me. So he tells them that they were graciously given knowledge. And as a reminder, the Bible tells us, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you're here today, and you know Jesus as your Savior, and you have come to right conclusions about who He is, it is the result of God's unmerited favor in your life. He opened your eyes to understand those truths. In fact, we sang, or or Mark read the text, one of my favorite texts in all the Bible, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give him all these different results of what people think he is. And then he asked them, who do you think I am? And of course, Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And how does Jesus respond? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't come to this realization on your own, but my father gave it to you. He opened your eyes. And in the same way, if you understand the teachings and the message of Jesus, and if you're going to understand the parables, you know why you're going to be able to do that? It's because God gives you eyes to see it and ears to hear it. It is the grace of God. I remember when I was in uh, high school, my family used to always take vacations to Myrtle Beach. And one of the things that we would do in the evening is we'd go to some of the, of course, you'd go to the putt-putt golf courses. They got a few there in Myrtle Beach. Uh, but I remember visiting on a number of occasions an area called Barefoot Landing. And it's a place where you can get souvenirs and go into all these shops. And sometimes there'd be little displays in the middle of vendors who were trying to sell certain things. And I remember around that time, there was this one popular thing that was trying to be sold. And it was these pictures that had kind of like this pattern on them. And what would happen is if if you stared at this little pattern for long enough and you kind of relaxed your eyes, all of a sudden a picture that was kind of hidden 
in the picture would kind of jump out at you. Anyone remember that? Okay, okay, some of you remember that. And I remember you'd walk up and there'd be all these people looking at it and half the people would be going, awesome, cool, look at that. I can see a dolphin. I can see a whale. And the other half are people like, what? And there'd be people that would sit there for like 20, 30 minutes and they'd never see it. Let me tell all of you, if you truly understand the parables and truly understand Jesus' teaching, you know why? It's because God turned the light on for you. He opened your eyes to behold the wondrous truths. And when Jesus spoke in parables, it was almost like he was giving one of those little pictures that some people would be frustrated and be like, I can't see it. And some would be like, I see it, I want to see more. You say, now, Pastor Brian, that's unusual. Because for a majority of the crowd, this understanding was not given. So Jesus elaborates on this division in verse 12. Look what it says. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So he, first of all, he focuses on those whose orientation to his teaching was kind of like a sponge. His disciples were like, I want more, I want more. He says, for those of you who are accepting my teaching and bringing it in like a sponge, guess what? I'm going to continue to give it to you and I'm going to give it to you in abundance. It's like those people at Barefoot Landing. As soon as they saw the one picture, they started going to all the other ones. Oh, there's a whale. Oh, there's a tree. There's this, this. And everyone's like, what are they talking about? Once he gave you the gift to understand it, you wanted to see more. You wanted to know more. And God spoke in parables so that the people who were sensitive and wanted to know, it would just pop out at them and they would be given it to abundance. But to those who didn't submit to his teaching. They listened to him for a good amount of time. In fact, many of these crowds had gone and many of them had heard a lot of his teaching. But what they were doing was this. They were hearing his teaching and they had grown dull to his teaching and they weren't submitting to what he had told them. And you know what it was like? It was almost like the water that was coming down was getting directed into a gutter and sent out so they weren't getting any of the any of the nutrient, any of the water and saturation. What happens now, I mean, basically Jesus now elaborates. He says in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So basically this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm speaking in these parables so that they can hear me but not understand me. And some of you are like, what? Why would Jesus do that? And at this point, Jesus now uses an Old Testament illustration to help. And it's an illustration from the book of Isaiah to explain. Look what he says in verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to the exact prophecy in Isaiah. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 6. I have it up here, verses 9 and 10. 
What's happening here is this. God had called Isaiah to be his prophet to the nation of Israel and to send him. And of course, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God tells him, and he said, go and say to this people, hear, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but they don't perceive. He says this, make their heart, make the heart of this people dull. Keep sharing the gospel, he says, but make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their and blind their eyes, lest they hear or see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What God is telling Isaiah to do is that the people that he would begin to preach the message of judgment and the message of the gospel to in the Old Testament, they will hear and see, but they will continue to be stubborn and not understand Then Isaiah says, but how long am I supposed to keep doing this? And listen to how God responds to Isaiah in verse 11. He says this. He says, then I said, how long, O Lord? And he says, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. He says, you keep doing it until they have grown dull of hearing. You know what Jesus had done? He had kept preaching the word, and then what had happened was the crowd started to become dull to his hearing. And what did he do? He shifted to parables. And I will show you that he did this out of mercy for them. He did this in some ways to help them rather than hurt them. In fact, in our text, going back to Matthew Jesus now states the condition of the crowds that he was dealing with. Look, it says this. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And this is what he says. For this people's heart has grown dull. And their ears, they can barely hear. It's interesting. They can barely hear with their ears anymore. And their eyes, they have what? Closed. Now they're being like, I don't know about this anymore. Then he says, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. What this all shows is this. They have now closed their eyes. It shows that the crowds were becoming stubborn. They weren't submitting to who he was. They had heard but grown dull by not submitting to Messiah. Here what would be good is for me to point out one other key aspect of why Jesus made this shift in his teaching. Now remember, Jesus' earthly ministry was around three years. And I submit to you that I believe for about two years, he spoke sometimes in parables, but sometimes in absolutely clear discourses. And he told people clearly who he was. They had seen, but... They had not submitted to him. In fact, notice a key phrase at the outset of this chapter. Okay, go to the beginning of this chapter. It says this. Look at the first three words of chapter 13. That same day. You say, why is that important? Because what that does is that connects chapter 13 to chapter 12. What had happened in chapter 12 
that necessitated Jesus now making a shift by teaching only parables. And what you'll find in chapter 12 is this. Jesus, first of all, he gets accused of, uh, of his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. And he basically says, you've, you've messed up the Sabbath. You've added all these rules. And he tells them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And you know what they did? They stiff-armed them. Then what happens, a few verses later, he heals a man with a withered hand. And he does it on the Sabbath. And you know what they do? They're all upset because he's breaking their Sabbath. But he's clearly showing that he is Messiah. And it wasn't a break of the Sabbath. It was in line with the Sabbath. And here were the people who... They had seen so many clear truths, but they were continuing to rebel. And then he comes to one other story, and the story is this, where Jesus clearly displays that he is Messiah and that he has power even over the satanic world. And there's a man with a demon. He's possessed by a demon. And what does Jesus do? In front of these Pharisees who had come from afar, to investigate Jesus teaching more, who they knew the Old Testament prophecies, and I submit to you, they saw it very clearly that he was the Messiah. But they didn't want to submit to him. So what do they do? They now say, you know what? He's doing these miracles, and he's empowered by who? Satan. They stiff arm him again. And so finally, Jesus says, enough is enough. You have continued to do this. You have continued to push against me in these particular ways. This shows that the people had grown hard and dull. But it's interesting as well. Notice Jesus' continued grace to them. It says at the end of verse 15, unless they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And what would he do if they turned to him? I would what? I will heal them. So they, if they would respond in humility, there would be healing. So Jesus is teaching in parables to do two things. To unveil the truth to those who are seeking and to spur them on to investigate, to get more knowledge. But he was also doing it to veil, his, to veil the truth from the unrepentance so that they wouldn't be hardened even more and heap even greater judgment upon themselves. Let me illustrate it this way. Jesus' teaching was like a sun, a hot sun. And what, what a hot sun can do is let's say you have some really thin plastic and you're trying to shape it in a certain way. Heat and the heat of the sun, if it stands in the heat of the sun, it becomes pliable and movable so you can shape it. However, clay, if it stands in the sun, it can harden. What Jesus is doing is basically this. Some of you are open and pliable to my teaching. And you're being able to see more and use more. But those of you who I've been clearly showing myself, you're becoming more and more hardened. 
You know what? The sun can do two things. It can either tan you or it can burn you. And as he was shining, some of these were getting hardened more and more. So out of mercy for God, God started to veil his teaching in parables. So the people who were really sensitive and wanted to learn and wanted to grow, they would have to want to know more and and almost be inquisitive about it. And you know what? If they were inquisitive and they wanted to know more, he would keep revealing more to them. But for those who were like, eh, I don't know about this, it would continue to be hard for them to understand. And that leads to one final reason God gave the parables. Let me give you this. I'll say it and then I'll explain it. To engrave and to encapsulate truth in the minds for future work. Let me say that again. To engrave and to encapsulate truth in the minds for further work. You know what? Jesus is telling these stories, and I'll tell you, the stories will be remembered. I mean, it's funny that I find that even in my preaching, I'll tell an illustration or a story, and you guys will remember it a year later. Okay, it'll be like, I remember that story you told. The point of it, I don't really remember why, uh, what you were meaning by that, but it's there, I remember it. And if you think long enough, maybe say, oh, I remember the point of it. Now I got it. Well, one of the reasons Jesus is telling these stories and why he's illustrating it is the stories do engrave the stories in these people's minds But they also would do this. They would encapsulate the truth for later. They would engrave the stories in the mind so that at some future point, the truth would be ready. It's almost like a seed. I could go over to Home Depot and I could say, I want to plant some seeds. And I can go into Home Depot and go to the seed section and I can pick out seeds. I can even open the package. And most of those seeds are really hard on the outside. And I could probably take them and put them in our storage area for a number of months. And they'd be kind of encapsulated there. But the moment I take that seed and I plant it into fertile soil and I begin to water it, that little seed, the truth, you could say, comes out. And these stories, what happens is Jesus tells these stories, so hey, we remember them, but at some point when we really begin to do this. God, I really want to know what that means. I really want to learn from you. I really want to take my spiritual life a little bit deeper. What those parables do is when you begin to mix them with fertile soil, he begins to uncover incredible mysteries of the kingdom. And let me just stop here to say that some of you, you have heard some of these parables all your life, and you've grown dull of them. Because up to this point, you have not brought fertile ground into it. You have become dull of hearing. And it's easy as a, at a church, hey, I'm just going to listen to this and not come to it with faith and believing, listening to what God would have you to hear. And what we find, what Jesus is doing is this. Jesus is speaking in veiled language to help the mature, but also to protect the immature. We do this as parents. You know, sometimes when you got small kids, you're talking and you can talk kind of above them. It's like, uh, hey, we're going to say things in a certain way that the kids don't understand. But as they mature, guess what happens? 
They start to understand you can't use that veiled language anymore. Jesus in his mercy is being careful for people who are, who are hardened by the truth so that they don't continue to stiff arm him. So that brings me to our, my last question, and it's very simple. It's this, what does this mean for you and me today as we begin this series and as we come to we close out this text? And it's this, as you and I look at the parables over the next, next number of weeks, did you know the same things as I just mentioned are true for today? God has spoken in parables, and we're going to look at them. But for those of you in this room, if you don't come to the parables in the right way, they're going to continue to be safes that you can't unlock. You're going to need to be somebody who basically comes to God and seeks his help in all this. So if you know Jesus as your Savior and have already been enlightened to some truth, which I believe a majority of you have. You've come to know that Jesus is the Christ. You depended on him for salvation. And you've come to a little bit of truth in God and his word. What I hope is that you'll come into this series, number one, thankful for what he's revealed so far. Don't be proud of what you have. Thank him for it. And that's the first point. Thank God for what you have so far. It has been the grace of God that's given that to you. And that's what he does at the end of our text in verses 16 and 17. He tells these disciples when they had understood some of these things, he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And what he's telling these disciples is, you guys are incredibly blessed because all the people in the Old Testament, all the prophets, and all the righteous men, they were looking forward to the day that Messiah would come and uncover these truths and these mysteries. They looked forward to it, and guess what? You got them. You're getting to hear them audibly. You're getting to interact with me and even ask questions. And let me tell you, those of you who now live in 2020, They were blessed, yes, but I would say the blessings, you and I stand now even on their shoulders. You and I on an everyday basis can go and read all of Jesus' words recorded in the scriptures. You and I have all the parables. You and I have the opportunity to go and delve into these things. And when God gives you enlightenment about a certain truth, you know what you need to do and the way you need to respond? Thank you, Lord for showing that to me. I mean, we sing, thank you, Jesus. I'll tell you, there is nothing that softens the ground of our spiritual heart better than thanksgiving. God, thank you for revealing truth. I want more. I want more. I want you to show me more. And that brings me to a second response that we should have. We should pray. Or ask God to give you more. Don't be satisfied with the knowledge that you have right now of Jesus' teaching. Say, God, I want to know more. And that's what his disciples did. This whole text begins with them asking him what? Questions. God, explain why you're doing this. And what's going to happen later on is this. They're going to say, now explain that parable to me. Make it clear. And in fact, Jesus is going to even give the interpretation of the parable. And I'll tell you this, 
you have a God, if he has saved you, he wants to explain what he means by what he says. But let me tell you, you ought to ask him. Some of you have, it's been a long time since you feel like you've gone to church and you really have been taught of God. And sometimes you blame your Sunday school teacher or your preacher or someone else for your lack of understanding of God's word. But you know where it all starts? It starts in your own unrepentant and hard heart. Because I'll tell you this, God could put a five-year-old up here and he could open God's word. And if you're asking him to God, teach me your word, he could do it. You have to have fertile ground and ask him to God, teach me. Open my heart. And I'll tell you this, when you come to him, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So ask him. Could it be that you could start on Saturday night to pray for your reception of God's word on Sunday morning? Or could it be on Monday, you could begin to pray for Sunday of the next week. God, I'm going to hear your word again in a community next Sunday. And would you soften my heart and make it ready? Would you help my pastor to understand the word as he reads it? Illuminate his mind. Father, help him. And then when I come in, help me not to just be, help me first of all to be a hearer of the word, but then help me to be a doer and put it into practice and help me to get more truth. Give me illumination. And those of you who are parents, don't just pray for you, pray for your kids. God, help them to find the truths that are encapsulated in these texts and help them to be opened up before them. Pray for your church family that we would be sensitive to God's word. So pray. Third thing is receive it. And I'll tell you, receive it like two things. Receive it like Velcro, okay? When God's word, it's like... Receive it like flypaper. I'm telling you, when God's word is given, be someone who pulls it into your life. Prepare yourself for the text. You know what? Every Friday, you get a little email if you're a member of our church. If you're not on this, let me encourage you to get on this. It's a weekly update. And at the beginning of the weekly update, we tell you what we're going to be speaking on on Sunday. Could you not read that text before you get here on Sunday? And already start the saturation. Or already get the word into your mind so that you're ready to hear it and understand. Write out the questions. I mean, if I don't answer some of those questions, then come, after, come ask me. And I'll say, man, I, better, I may have to study a little bit more on that. Let's get into the word. Let's be a church that is in many ways modeled by the Berean believers. The Bible says that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And that they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was said, said was so. They delve into it and be some people who soak it in. That means this, get some good sleep on Saturday night so you're not getting your sleep on Sunday morning. Go to bed at a good time, okay? Listen, uh, be prepared in that particular way. Ask for God's help in this. I don't care, stand in the back if you need to, Okay? Listen to the word of God. In fact, the Bible says in James 1, it says this. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let me tell you, all of your souls need saving. And I'll tell you what can help you. It's the word of God and you need it every day. You need it more than you need to eat. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and, and what goes along with that third point is this. Receive God's word is this. A lot of it depends on what you're doing with Jesus right now. I mean, what's your stance with Jesus? Are you like this with Jesus right now in your spiritual life? Are you more, are you a sponge? Come, God, do some more work in my life. Are you suspect, are you suspect of Jesus? Do you question Jesus? Are you weary of Jesus? Are you antagonistic of Jesus? I'll tell you, if you're that way, when it comes to his teaching, you're going to be stiff and arm in him. And some of these truths are going to go right over your head. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You're going to have to open yourself up to Jesus. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, as the psalmist says. And the final suggestion and and application would be this. Probably one of the things that can most harden you is sin. And that's why I would say, last of all, you need to repent. Let me share a verse with you. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. You and I are to exhort one another daily or every day as long as it is called today that none of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I mean, think about soils. Do you know what can harden your soil more than anything? It's when you choose not to live a life of repentance. You choose to go back to your sin and live in it. And as you continue to live in it, your soil becomes hardened. And God tells believers that you ought to challenge other believers lest any of them be hardened by living in sin. And as you live in sin and don't learn how to live a life of repentance and faith, You become hardened, and instead of the word soaking in, it is running off you and not allowing your life to be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in a season. Your leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever you do shall prosper because you're saturated with the Scripture. So today we begin a journey of looking at the greatest stories ever told. We're going to look at the parables And so let me encourage you to do all three of those things. Thank God for what you know. Pray for more. And then when you hear it, receive it. Repent of your sin. Get rid of that hardness. I hope you will settle in and listen to the word of God over the next number of weeks. I will not be the only one who will be opening these parables. Many of the other pastors are going to be doing this as well. Ask God for understanding and he will give you more. And I hope that it'll point you to the greatest story in all the world, and it's the message of Jesus. May these stories point you to him. Let's pray.